Hey, Lily, have you ever been involved in a religious war? Randy, where are you going with this? Oh, don't worry. I'm not talking about a real war. I mean, obviously. But, you know, like Mac versus PC or iOS versus Android. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've got you. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I've I've had my share of those. So, like, whether it's Jira or Jira, and I can safely say it's Jira, everyone out there, because I watched the official videos from Atlassian so that I got it right. I've got your back on that one. One of my favorites is the debate about the difference between a product and a service. I mean, I have definite opinions on it, but I've resolved to only ever have this specific discussion in a pub. Oh, um, in that case, I have some good news and some bad news for you. So the bad news is we're not going to the pub tonight. And the good news is we're going to be talking with Andy Budd about what service design is and how it fits with product. He's one of the founders of UK consultancy ClearLeft, an author and a member of Adobe's Design Circle. Ooh, okay, in that case, let me just grab a quick drink and we'll get right to it. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we can improve our practice and build products that people love. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and to discover an extensive library of great content and videos. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium articles, unseen videos, AMAs, roundtables, discounts to our conferences around the world, training opportunities, and more. Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you. Andy, welcome to the product experience. It's so nice to have you here. It's really, really great to be here, finally, after all these years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've been trying to get a chat in for a while. And yeah, it is really good to, to finally have a chance to speak to you. So before we get started, it'd be really good to get a quick fly through your background and your history and, and your specialism. Absolutely. So um, I guess I started back in the day, kind of like 20 years ago or so, as a kind of early blogger and web standards sort of um, advocate. I wrote a very well-known book called CSS Mastery that kind of sold, uh, well, at one stage, it was selling more um, online than Harry Potter, um, only for about an 18-hour period, I should add. So you know, sadly, I'm not a millionaire off of it, but there was a time, there was about a week when it was kind of like exploding, but it sold about somewhere between half a million and a million copies, which is pretty good for a tech book. Most tech books sell 2,000 copies if you're lucky. But basically, yeah, I was well known as a, a sort of a web standards, so HTML, CSS advocate. But I realized that that wasn't going to kind of get me very far, that web standards would very quickly become do a guru. It'd be just the way that, that we delivered work on the web. And at the time, I was really interested in this emerging field of HCI and kind of user-centered design. And so in a lot of my design work at the time, while most of my contemporaries were opening up Photoshop and moving pixels around and looking at things from a, a first order design perspective, I was um, doing interviews and creating sitemaps and, and wireframes and um, uh, personas and doing all this stuff, which was kind of a bit of a mixture at the time of information architecture and usability. And that sort of merged around kind of 2002, 2003 into the field of UX design. 
At the time, there was a very, very prominent agency in the US called Adaptive Path. And when I looked around in the UK, I couldn't find any equivalent agencies. So I set up ClearLeft, which I still believe to this day, or still maintain to this day, was the first agency that started describing itself as a UX agency. Now, there were people doing IA and, and user research and all these kind of things, but I don't think anyone else had really joined those concepts together. That was um, in 2005. And so 15 years later, I'm still in the same business. Um, I'm still, uh, you know, um, a co-founder of ClearLeft. We're still, you know, running strong, alive and kicking, even, you know, during the coronavirus kind of craziness we've all been experiencing. Um, I guess the other kind of big key um, or string to my bow is that as well as um, uh, running our agency, I also am a fairly prolific conference speaker and I've actually spoken at Mind the Product London before. And also I organize conferences. And so, yeah, I, I ran Deconstruct for 10 years. That was the first design conference in the UK. Um, we then started UX London, which was the first and pretty much the main UX design conference in Europe. And about five years ago, I started another conference called Leading Design, which, as the name suggests, is for design leaders. And we do that. Well, we did that in London, New York and San Francisco, although at the moment we're mostly doing our conference stuff online. Wow. So you don't do much then? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I also I also advise startups and um uh, you know, mentor founders of agencies and coach. So yeah, I've got a few other bits and pieces I'm up to, but um, yeah, I, I kind of pretty lazy. <laughs> Quite a lot. On. So uh, Andy, one of the reasons we brought you on today is we wanted to talk to you a little bit about service design, which is something that you've got a specialty in. And it's something that a lot of product managers don't know a ton about. So before we jump into a discussion of what the relationship should be in an ideal world between the two, uh, can you just give us a bit of a background? What is service design? Absolutely. So service design, interestingly enough, actually has its roots in Europe. You see a lot of modern uh, design practices and particularly digital practices, and they tend to come from the US and we import them. Actually, service design really was sort of founded in Europe um, and founded um, through the provision of services through government and through healthcare and a desire to make those services better, make them more efficient, make them work for the um, the customers, the users, the, the citizens that were kind of consuming these governmental services. And as um, that grew and as that world grew, it started being exported all over the world. And now you've got service design sort of teams and focuses in Australia and you know, all through Europe, all through North America, South America, basically the whole world. How you define service design, everyone's got their own kind of definition, and there's probably a lot of overlap, which is all, already one of the reasons why there might be a, a bit of a challenge to understanding what it is and what it isn't. But effectively, you can imagine any product, any um, interaction that a, a, an organization has with a client is usually a provision of some kind of service. And you know, maybe back in the olden days, that would be purely mediated through human to human contact i might go in and want to see my doctor i might want to go and you know book a doctor's appointment and that might have been a face-to-face -face sort of meeting with a receptionist or it might have been a phone call or it might have been an email um nowadays a lot of services are provided through digital means and sometimes they're provided wholly through digital means so service design is really the design of services and the design of not only the interface between the people but also all of the back office um 
uh, stuff, the administrative stuff, the, the training stuff that goes on behind the scenes to deliver that service. And so it's quite a broad term. You know, if I'm designing a service for a cancer care ward, that would all be service design. If I'm designing a car share service, you could argue that was all service design as well from a high level strategic point of view. But within those service touch points, there might be a specialist team that is expert at doing mobile. There might be a specialist team that's expert at doing digital. There might be a specialist team that's an expert at doing bookable phone systems. So you often find that service designers actually are coordinators across a range of different disciplines and um, uh, sort of orchestrate the experience. Orchestration is quite a common term uh, in the service design world. One of the challenges with service design is service designers generally don't get to actually physically design the thing because quite often services are intangible. Um, so what ends up happening is a lot of service designers are often in the realm of creating documentation, guidelines, service blueprints, training blueprints that teach the people who are delivering the service um, how best to go about it. And so one of the challenges with service design, it's, it can often be quite intangible. Whereas if you are a UI designer, at the end of the day, you can look at all the UIs you've created and it makes a lot more sense. And so I think this is one of the reasons why it's a bit problematic to, de to describe. So how do you know when a service design is good or if you're good as a service designer, are there standard metrics of success? I mean, it's that's a little bit like sort of asking, how do you know if a product design is good or a, a you know UX design is good? Um, it really comes from the interaction. You know, it comes from um, whether the people who are your customers are happy with the experience. You know, maybe they 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 you know you can test you know happiness and you know through things like Net Promoter Score. You can test efficiency, so whether people actually get the service they get delivered in a reasonable amount of time. Um, so, you know, service completion. Um, also, you want to make sure that the goals of the organization that are delivering that service are met. So you kind of want to make sure that these goals are are being delivered. So, again, you know, if it's a, um, a service to deliver um, takeaway food to your door, you might throw up a net promoter score to see whether people are happy with the delivery. That's not just the um, the interface, but the politeness of the service um, delivery person that came to your door, the quality of the food and whether it was up to standard, et cetera, et cetera. You might look at speed because obviously if you're having food delivered to you, you want it to get to you quickly and warmly rather than cold and shaken around in the box. And whereas maybe a UX designer would only look at the interface, a service designer might look at the um, the production of the food in the restaurant or the pickup approach of how the the delivery person goes to the restaurant or to the, the dark kitchen and you know isn't waiting around for ages but goes in there and really really quickly picks the stuff up it might look at the design of the um the bikes or the cars or the boxes that kind of keep the keep the product at the right temperature and it will probably look at things like training how do you train the staff to make sure that when they come to the door they're doing you know doing the best service and particularly in covid you're probably having a lot of um contactless delivery services at the moment so it tends to be all of the touch points rather than just a few digital products that you look at in service design so i first came across product about 12 years ago um, and then I came across service design probably just a couple of years ago. 
Um, and I don't know whether that's just because I just didn't discover it <laughs> until a couple of years ago, or, you know, is it a fairly new and growing discipline? Um, or is it something that's been around for a long time? And and it seems that I've got another question as well, which is it seems so all encompassing. You know, we talk in products about how you have to cover all of the different angles of marketing and business and tech and user experience. So with service design, it seems similar in that sense. Um, but are there lots of people doing service design who don't necessarily have the role or the job as service designer, but they have another kind of title, but they're doing service design? Wow. So so many interesting things packed into that one question. So I'll, I'll have a crack at kind of sort of pulling it apart and and answering each of those segments. So I believe that service design has been around for quite a while. I actually think there's an argument to say that service design is older than product or UX design. And actually, if you look at how uh, Don Norman, who is kind of considered the founder of UX design, how he describes UX design. He doesn't describe it in terms of just creating digital interfaces. He described it around the, the, the feel of using Apple products, the, the, the feel of opening the box and unboxing and turning it on, the, you know, the experience of buying the product and, and looking at the manual. So I would argue that really what Don Norman was explaining was service design. However, I think what happened is... In the early days of service design, um, the vast majority of service designers were focused at um, maybe the sort of the slightly less exciting end of design. You know, they were designing um, forms for claiming doll. They were designing the uh, the waiting room experience for cancer treatment. They were designing, um, uh, you know, often uh, government provided services. When digital came about, a lot of people that had similar skills kind of understandably sort of flocked to digital. But very, very quickly, they got so focused and specialized on only doing digital because at that time, there wasn't usually a lot of service un- underpinnings. If you think 10 or 20 years ago when UX design became a, a popular term, the things UX designers were really designing were digital information spaces. They, would, they weren't designing apps. They weren't really designing products. They were designing marketing websites. They were designing... Um, sort of information spaces for universities, um, you know, things like that. So there really wasn't much service provision underpinning this thing. And so a lot of people that kind of consider themselves UX designers would have loved to have the opportunity to design all the different touch points, but they ended up becoming very, very specialist. And so you kind of almost had this kind of like split sort of, you know, appear. Um, So a lot of UX designers believe they could do service design, and I'm sure a lot of them could, but a lot of them hadn't had the option to really design anything that had a massive underpinning of services beyond digital. So I do think service design has been around for a while, but also because they sort of lived for quite a long time in these sort of different camps, um, they built up their own language, they built up their own skills, they built up their own conferences. You know, there's there's a whole community of practice around service design. There's a whole community of practice around UX design. There's a whole community of practice around product design. And these groups until recently didn't didn't really overlap. I actually blame Lou Down for the bringing of these communities slightly together. So Lou, I don't know if she's spoken at, um, at, at uh, your conference before, but Lou was a service designer by by trade. She learned service design at some of the kind of the sort of the premier service design agencies in London. And then she became the head of uh, design at uh, GDS. And 
she realized that the problems that were being solved at GDS were bigger and broader than just interface problems. Often they were problems around digitizing physical things. Um, you know, processes were paper, they were manual. They were like, we need to get three copies of this and file them here, here and here. And, you know, um, and so just hiring digital experts, it would have been really, really problematic to solve the problems the government had. So Lou really built out an impressive team of, of, of service designers. And I would say in probably five or six years, you know, service design went from a very small niche practice in government to there being hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of service designers. And those service designers got attracted to solving these problems. And then they went on to join the NHS. They went on to join local councils. They went on to join the co-op in, in, in Manchester. And all of the places that kind of these people that had honed their skills in government then went off to start infecting other organizations, charities and, and, and other departments um, with this, this approach. And so I think while service design was bubbling along for a while, um, Lou and GDS really exploded into the mainstream. It's funny, uh, I was looking up in preparation for the interview and I found a, a definition of service design from the Nielsen Norman group. And theirs is a lot more restrictive than what you're describing it. They say it's a, it's the activity of planning and organizing a business's resources, people, props, and processes in order to, one, directly improve the employee's experience and to indirectly the customer's experience. So it's a much more restrictive take than you were describing. Um, I find that Nielsen Norman are incredibly dry in their definitions. <laughs> I also That's find Nielsen Norman are about 20 years out of date. So you know, that might have been a perfectly reasonable definition 20 years ago. I don't think um, anybody would really agree with that now. I mean, I guess, well, okay, with one caveat, I think to some extent, all of these different groups are taking similar approaches to solve similar problems. There is There, there are some differences, you know. We did some modelling a while ago in Left, and we reckon that about – 40% of the practices that service designers do, UX designers also do. But there's probably about 60% of practices that service designers do on a regular basis that UX designers don't do, and probably the other way around. So while there is a very, very strong similarity, there are also clear divisions of, of difference. The other thing that I think is different is who actually hires the, the agency. So in my, or, or who hires the staff? In my experience, Product teams, UX designers, uh, product designers uh, tend to be hired by the digital team. They tend to be hired by the VP of product. They tend to be hired the head of design. Um, the people that tend to hire service designers are often the ops people. They are often the COO. And because of that, there definitely is a, a focus on improving internal efficiency. And so absolutely, I would argue that uh, service designers tend to touch a lot more on the internal teams. And they're trying to kind of make the system simple to save money while at the same time delivering a better experience. Also, you find that a lot of CX people also hire service designers. With everything going on, it's hard to find time in the week to keep learning, but luckily Amplitude gets that. They've put together a four-part email course to help you get up to speed on customer retention. 
Sign up at amplitude.com forward slash MTP and each week you'll get a five minute lesson sent to your inbox. This way you can keep learning at a pace that makes sense for your busy life. Again, visit amplitude.com slash MTP to enroll in the course. I think you're hitting on something that I find is a key problem with the, the way that products are structured in a lot of organizations. So my argument is, you can't be doing the job of a product manager if you don't understand the end-to-end experience of the customer. That's from awareness through to ordering to consumption and then support and even end of life, which is fundamentally overlapping with what you're describing as service design because it means that all the internal processes have to be aligned and work well together. But yeah, I agree, there's a lot of times that the, the product team is either inside the CTO's organization or uh, a separate siloed organization that may or may not have the relationships and the remit that it needs to have. So when this is working well, when product and service are working well together, what does that look like? How should it work? Well, I mean, again, I think it depends on the nature of the problem. I think quite often there's so much overlap that it's really indistinguishable whether it's service designers doing this or UX designers or product designers. But I think as the problem gets broader and bigger, like, you know, if you are a bank um, designing the, um, the experience for customers to come in and get a mortgage in person with your, um, your bank manager or designing the experience of depositing cash in a safe, you're probably not going to have a digital product manager or product designer doing that. And so in complex organizations where there are multiple services being delivered through multiple different touch points, it really, really makes sense to have a service designer lead that. Um, in a more digital setting, like I say, if you are delivering a pizzas you know, through a delivery app, a UX designer can probably do 80% of that work, but you still might need to get a service designer in to tie up the touch points. You still might get the service designer to understand how the order goes into the kitchen, gets delivered, gets picked up, gets, you know, um, finds its way to the the customer. And in those kind of companies, I know companies like Deliveroo don't really have a concept of service designers. At least they never used to. They would have product managers in charge of the rider experience or the restaurant experience. Um, Mm -hmm. I would argue that bringing a bunch of service designers in to tie all those things together would be an eventual sign of maturity. But I think if you're a smart person, product designer or UX designer, you know, you can figure out these things if 80% of your product is still an app. But if only 20% of your product is an app, it becomes more complicated. So I'm I'm just curious, why do you make the distinction that product is inherently a digital medium and service is a full uh, 360 medium? Because that is... um, well, I mean, the, the the term product manager, you know, gained popularity through Silicon Valley. I mean, obviously, there you know, there are product designers that design physical products, like you know, my headphones or what have you. And there, you know, there are product designers that are specialists at this. But generally, these days, when we are talking about product design and product management, we are talking about a attitude and a philosophy and a practice that is really born out of tech companies in Silicon Valley and has. Um, embedded itself in all kinds of um, uh, instances. And I'm sure there are product managers there that are great at designing the customer experience of a airline um, customer 
checking into a kiosk and going through um, like a private security channel. I don't know that many people that have got that experience, but I know a ton of service designers that have. So there might be people out there, but in my experience, that's not their specialism. And those people would be unusual outliers. Whereas if you go to a service design team, that's the kind of thing they would have done a dozen times. And so for me, it's really about going to people that have got um, deep sectoral experience where they can draw upon. But yeah, you know, I'm sure there are product designers in customer experience for airlines that have never touched the app at all, which is why it's complicated, which is why there's overlap. So if you find yourself being one of these product managers who has ended up in a role where there is an element of service design, of which I think there's, you know, probably a a significant portion um, out there, including a couple of the projects I'm working on at the moment, (laughs) um, is there... You know what? What are the fundamental things that that we are potentially lacking that a service designer would have? And is there a way of being able to, you know, learn some of those skills in order to bridge some of that gap in the case where it's just a small element of service design compared to the overall product? Well, I mean, I guess the question really is: is is that your job? Is that your role? And I think, um, you know. I I believe in the typical product team setup. A product team should be driven by a representative from engineering, a representative from design, and a representative from product. Um, And with that balance, people bring different skills to the mix and are able to deliver different parts of the product and the experience. I know a lot of companies where the product manager is God and the product manager tells everyone what to do and... um, wants to do an awful lot of that themselves, including wireframing, usability testing, all that kind of stuff, which is really fun. Also, what that does is that kind of demeans the experience of their designers on their team and is one of the reasons why I think at the moment um, there's an increasing level of frustration between designers and product managers if product managers are doing the job that designers have been trained to do all their life. So if you're if you're saying, well, hey, look, I'm a product manager that wants to do everything, wants to be across everything and wants to drive everything, um, then sure, you can you can drive pro, um, service design as much as you drive product design. I would question whether that is the right approach to take. I would say a good product manager um, knows their strengths and their weaknesses and would probably bring in experts, you know, in the same way as you would hire, you know, you probably wouldn't do all your SEO. You'd probably get an SEO person to do it. You probably wouldn't do all your content design or content strategy. You'd get a content expert to do it in. I would say a product does, a product manager should be working with all the experts they have available and coordinating between all of these people in order to deliver the product that your customers and your business needs. So I would say work with service designers. But if you want to, you know, if you don't have the budget or if you want to start, um, getting more in that space, I think the people on your team that will have more relevant experience are the UX designers or the product designers because they are fundamentally designers and it will be easier for them to transition into designing for a different medium. Um, so I would I would work with them. And there are lots of books out there. Um, Lou Down has, has written a wonderful book um, uh, all about kind of service design. There's, there's tons and tons of service design books, service design thinking, service design doing, um, so I'd kind of grab all those. And there are also lots of conference talks. You know, there's been talks at um, our SofaConf and, and UX London. And so there's lots of um, opportunity out there to learn. But it is it is a, a skill. 
Um, and I'm definitely a fan of, of um, utilizing people that have those skills rather than trying to do everything ourselves, because then the thing we end up with tends to be not very good. <laughs> I've only had the chance to work with service designers a couple of times and uh, did a quick look on LinkedIn uh, while we were talking. And there's something like seven or eight times the number of job listings for product managers as there is for service designers, at least in the UK. So I'm just going to assume that there's a lot of other people who are in that experience where they rarely, if ever, get the chance to work with a specialist in this. Um, so you've mentioned a couple of resources for people to to get started and and expand their expertise and learn at least the basic tenets and, uh, as you said, partner with the design people on their team. Aside from Lou, though, is there anyone else that you'd recommend uh, following to, to get started? I mean, the two or the three kind of main service design agencies in the UK are Engine, LiveWork, and um, Snook. And Sarah Drummond, um, who is the MD of Snook, also is a great person to follow online, writes a ton of um, really, really amazing stuff. So I would definitely recommend her. Um, there's an amazing design, uh, service design author called uh, Mark Stickdorn, um, who wrote, has written a bunch of books. This is Service Design being the main one. Um, the main conference for the service design community is called uh, the Service Design Network. And that's a conference that moves around to different locations each year, um, usually, you know, through Europe and, and through North America. So if you're interested in learning more, um, go and check out the sort of the service design network as well. And, you're, you know, and one of the things is like when I started going to the service design conferences 10 years ago, you would very rarely see that many people that would identify as UX designers or digital designers, whereas now I'm seeing more and more people attend. And these conferences are pretty big. I mean, I think, you know, every product team needs a product manager. So it's understandable, particularly as digital is so pervasive, you're going to have maybe 10 times as many product manager job roles as there are service design. Service design is a niche. Service design is like hiring an expert cabinet maker. You know, you don't need that kind of level of quality of craftsman to solve every problem. And if all you want is someone to bang a nail in a in a door, then you're probably going to be wasting your time. But if you have a problem that crosses a bunch of different touch points that has to um, use, create tools or processes for internal team members and is looking at making super efficient processes that so that allows your customers to get served really, really quickly, really, really efficiently, outside of just digital services, then I think service designers are great people to engage with. So customer experience design, is that a subset of service design? Um, customer experience is, again, a, a lot of these challenges, a lot of these terms, um, there, is, there is more in common than there is difference. And a lot of it just comes down to the lens you're looking at or the direction you're coming from. So Typically, you'll find inside large organizations, you will have a customer service team um, head up by a head of customer service, and they are mostly responsible. 90% of their job is probably dealing with online phone calls. It's dealing with complaints. It's dealing with customer service issues. If you have a place, an office or a, 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 um, a service that has physical premises like a a supermarket or a shop or whatever, you might also be involved in training staff and looking at how you do returns and stuff like that. Um, so in lots of large retail companies, um, the people who are delivering customer experience solutions 
are pretty much doing the same thing as service designers. What they might find is they might start to run into kind of problems that are outside of their immediate scope or, or, or knowledge of, of um, how to solve them. And they might go to a service design agency to provide specialist services. Uh, but I would argue that they're very, very similar. Um, a lot of people I know that work in the service design space will, will regularly design phone call waiting systems. You know, there's annoying things where you you press one or you have to say after the beep what you're looking for, et cetera, et cetera. That's a service problem. Most of them are really frustrating. And I would argue most of them are really frustrating because actually the people that design them aren't coming from a broad enough background. Um, and so I'd love to see more service designers pulled into those um those types of projects. Uh, but yes, um, there's, there's a lot of similarity. There's a lot of overlap. Having worked with call centers, I'd say that uh, very often the software there is designed to solve the problems of the people running the call centers, not the customers. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. A lot of it is about efficiency. And this is one of the problems. I mean, um, one of the frustrations I have and one of the things that service designers are trying to solve is trying to stop organizations fixating on a sort of local maxima sort of um, KPI that actually weirdly gets in the way of solving the problem. So for instance, to give you an example, a lot of call centers um, will have, you know, a timer for how quickly you're meant to serve clients. And so obviously what happens is in order to hit your targets, you try and get clients off the line as quickly as possible. So you get them off the line before they've had the problem solved. That means they'll phone back three, four, five times, tying up three, four, five times as many people as they need to, getting more and more frustrated and eventually going and talking crap about the brand on Twitter because they've been unable to solve the problem. Because those customer experience directors have been told that they need to get the call waiting times down. And that's the only KPI that they, they focus on. If you look at a brand like Zappos, Zappos have amazing customer service. Customers love them. And one of the reasons is because they are told that they are not allowed to have any call waiting times. People will be on the phone with customers for an hour or two, if that is what's needed to solve the problem. And at the end of the day, at the end of the call, the customers write in and say, you are amazing, thank you. I've never felt so looked after in my life. And so there's a, there's a big difference there between you know, bouncing people around in order to, you know, not my problem, somebody else's problem, versus genuinely solving a problem in a way that solves the customer needs, but actually also solves the organization's need, which is we want to do this efficiently. We want to solve this problem on the first run rather than the 19th. And we want to solve it when we can turn the problem around and make the customer happy rather than driving them to social media to, to, to vent. Andy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and joining us, especially with all the seagulls in the background keeping this company <laughs> to you. I feel like it's been a proper English summer <laughs> summer day there. <laughs> Well, this is it. I live in Brighton and I'm basically immune to it. I think it's like people that live next to train tracks and they never hear the trains. Like I've not heard a single seagull in this whole interview. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess it gives a lovely romantic seaside vibe. So I'm yeah. glad you've been able to provide that for you. Thank you so much, Andy. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Come back next week where we learn all about quality. What are you implying, Randy? No, I don't mean podcast quality. I mean software quality.
Oh, okay. That does sound awesome. See you all next week. And please drop us a review if you're enjoying the podcasts. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith, and me, Randy Silver. Emily Tate is our producer, and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW, that's P-A-U. Thanks to Arna Kittler, who runs Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. Connect with your local product community via Product Tank, our regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, you can consider starting one yourself. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. Product Tank is a global community of meetups driven by and for product people. We offer expert talks, group discussion, and a safe environment for product people to come together and share learnings and tips. Mm-hmm.